We're continuing on a teaching uh, entitled, Jesus Said. Everybody say, Jesus Said. And uh, we're basically going through the Sermon on the Mount and finding some high points, so to speak, in there. Some things as the Lord uh, leads me to those things. And maybe you did your homework. Some of you get that look. At, we had homework? There's no grade on it. It's just to help you. Um, Remember, we were to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's 111 verses divided over the week. It's 15.8 verses a day. Now, some of you are so exact. Do not read 15.8 verses, okay? <laughs> Go ahead and give me one or, or lay back or whatever. But um, So we've done that for the last two weeks. So I've got some homework for you for this next week. Do the same thing. You're like, Really? Yeah, because I want you to know what Jesus said. This is his longest discourse here. Uh, some of your Bibles, it's all written in red right there. And um, said some incredible, incredible things. And I want you to just be real familiar with that. And then we'll be highlighting uh, parts of that. Um, it strikes me in Matthew chapter 5, uh, toward the end of that chapter, that we see six times where Jesus does this number, where he says, you have heard it said this way, but I say to you, I'm telling you, it's this way. And he takes us to a different perspective. Um, much of what Jesus said, his message was, and it still is, countercultural. It runs kind of crosswise with our, with our culture, with the social norm, the way we normally would think, it, it's not intuitive at all. And so we are, as I, I said in the prayer, we're going to be challenged by some things today. In Acts chapter 17, we find that some of Jesus' followers, and he's, this is post-resurrection, he's in heaven, some of his followers, because of the impact that they were having, sharing uh, what is called the the doctrine or the teaching of the apostles, which was what? It's just the fullness of Jesus' message now and establishing the kingdom of God. That it said that those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. And so here are these people that as the gospel came to their area, they said, these folks that are bringing it have turned the world upside down. That's kind of a negative connotation. Look at me, listen. The gospel does not turn the world upside down. The gospel turns the world right side up. And if you've had the wrong view on something and you're just hanging there upside down and that's all you've ever known, then when that gets turned back over, then to you it feels upside down. But the reality is there's a contrast between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the devil. And this is a contrast to those kingdoms. The kingdom of God is light. The other is dark, life, death, um, freeing, binding, positive, negative. We could go on. It's easy for you to surmise what all of that entails, how the, the characteristics of either kingdom. And so when you're just used to this one kingdom and now the truth and light comes to you, it, it changes things. And we're going to be changed in our perspective. And, and as we do that, your life changes how we view some things. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So this is going to be a different brand of thinking on some things. Now, let me say this. So consequently, much of what Jesus said, now let me correct that. Most of what Jesus said, now I'm going to correct it again. 
all of what Jesus said. All of what Jesus said is going to run contrary to culture, to religion, to philosophy, to tradition. It did when he spoke it. And guess what? It does right now. And even in church world, there are certain things that Christians believe and say and live. But we've got to make sure we've got it right. Let's make sure that we just don't have religion or a man's way of thinking or presenting things. Let's make sure that we're getting what Jesus said as it comes from the Father uh, to establish the kingdom in our life and in our world. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm not going to take time uh, on all six of those, but let me just touch on them real quick. First, he said, you've heard it said, do not murder. How many of you know that's a good idea? But then he goes on and takes it to another level and he says this. Um, you've heard it said, don't murder. He said, but I say to you that if you hate somebody, if you're overly angry with somebody, same difference. I wish he hadn't said that. Come on, because you're feeling like, I ain't never murdered. And then you realize, but if you've ever hated somebody. So how many of you know in the reality, we're all guilty. And he goes on with a number of other things. He says, don't commit adultery. And then he goes on and says, but. That's what you've heard. That's what you've heard. But what he's saying is, what I say to you is this. But if you look on another person with lust, you're guilty the same way. I wish he hadn't said that. (laughs) And then he goes on and on. He talks about a number of other things here. He talks about divorce. And he says, and if you read what he says, and there's a lot of pushback that can come in all of these things he said. Because it's it's countercultural here. And he says, here's some reasons for divorce, but I want you to understand this. Where there might be some biblical reasons, there's never a command. And so he didn't command at that point. And that's a message maybe for a whole nother time. Then he talks about making vows and swearing. Because some people, I don't know. They're, he said this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's, a, it's either a yes I will or a no I won't. And some people got to swear on their mama's grave and everything else. And he says, you know, there should be enough. There should be something. There should be grace and kingdom established in you that your word is your word. That my three attorneys don't need to contact your three attorneys. That you just, there's something in your heart, something in your life. Because listen, any of the outward things that he says, don't do this and don't do this. You've heard that. He takes it to another level. He takes it inside. And he teaches over and over that what you do out here is because of what's in here. And so he came not to replace the law, so to speak, but to fulfill the law and to bring us to another place. The law is on the outside and the law is trying to say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And Jesus said, instead of just being reactive, let's go proactive. Let's go inside. What is it that's causing you to do this out here? It's something on the inside. And so we enter into the grace and the truth that Jesus would bring, the kingdom of God that would get established on the inside of us. It's incredible teachings that he does. Then he talks about revenge. And he says, it's a, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a truth. It's called proportional retribution. You hit me, I'll hit you. You push me, I'll push you. And he says, don't play it that way. I actually uh, heard the story of a lady and a, a young mother. She heard, she was doing her household chores and so forth. And she heard a scream. Her kids are playing. She runs down the hall and she finds her four-year-old son 
Well, on top of him is their 18-month-old daughter, and she's got a hold of his hair. And she just won't let go, and she's just pulling, and he's just screaming. So she gets them separated, and then she speaks to her son, and she goes, Listen, don't be angry at your sister. She doesn't know that that hurts. And he looked at her, and yes, ma'am. And then she leaves and goes back to things. Y'all play, have fun. About two minutes later, she hears another scream. She comes running back down the hall, and she says, What happened? And it's the 18-month-old screaming this time. He goes, What happened? And the boy looked up proudly and says, She knows now. Okay. So I don't know if that's revenge or education. Uh, Well, we go on down to verse 43 in Matthew 5. And Jesus said this, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now y'all get ready, okay? Get your big boy shoes on because we're We're going to travel a little bit here. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, okay, here's a big game changer. But I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And that you may be sons of your father in heaven. In the Greek, it really brings this out. That this is the genuine, true article, sons. That you're the genuine children of God. If this is going on for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors who were despised in that culture. uh, Tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. And that's not perfect performance. It's, It's. It's a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees that he also talked about earlier in that chapter. So, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. The love your neighbor part, we find in Leviticus 19, verse 18, but it doesn't say hate your neighbor. And I think over the course of time it got added, and people wrongly assumed, and it's natural thought that if you're to love your neighbor, then the opposite of your neighbor and what that means would be your enemy. And so if I'm to love my neighbor, then regarding my enemy, I must hate my uh, my enemy. And how many of you know it's pretty easy to hate your enemy? And he also pointed out it's pretty easy to love your neighbor. And by neighbor here, he's talking about that there's, there's kin to it, that you're okay with one another. Um, Jesus, though, now comes along and, first of all, expands the concept of neighbor. Y'all with me today? He expands his concept. The original uh, idea of neighbor is somebody that's near or close by or a friend. And Jesus takes it and he pretty much moves the definition and meaning of a neighbor to include this. Anyone. Anyone. And especially those that would be in your path that need some help. And need some kindness. Guess what? Under Jesus' new order here, guess who they are? They're your neighbor. At one place, Jesus was asked, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus launched into what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you semi-familiar with that? I'll tell it to you just real quick. There was a Jewish man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
And on the way, bandits came out and robbed him, beat him, stripped him, left him for dead. As it would happen, then a priest came by and saw this horrible situation. And you know what he did? He prayed for him. He helped him. No, he didn't. He had religion, but no compassion. And he went over into the other side of the street and probably had an internal ooh and kept going. And then it said a Levite came along and the Levite was like an assistant in the temple. And he came and he's used to helping. So guess what he did? He did the same thing. He went to the other side of the street and avoided it altogether. And it says, and then a Samaritan came. Now, you've got to get the dynamics of this that Jesus put into this. He specifically said a Jewish man, and then he said a Samaritan. And because of ethnicity, because of religion, because of philosophy, because of how they lived life, there was no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews called Samaritans dogs. They would have no interaction at all. Jesus came to change that. They weren't to have contact. They didn't communicate. And guess what? The Samaritan, the scripture says, was moved with something beyond ethnicity and religion and everything else. It says he was moved with compassion. And so here he is, a guy, they're not even supposed to look at each other, talk to each other. And the Samaritan binds up his wounds, pouring in the oil, pouring in the wine, binding him up, put him on his own animal, took him to an inn, paid for his care, his medical help. He left money with the innkeeper and said, if it costs anything more than this, when I come back, I'll gladly repay. And then Jesus finishes and turns back to the man who says, who is my neighbor? And he says this, so you tell me now, which one of these three was neighbor. He almost turns it into a verb. How about that teacher's verb? (laughs) He almost turns neighbor into a verb. And he says, which one of these three was neighbor to him who was attacked in this way? And here's his answer. He said, the one who showed mercy. And that word mercy has to do with goodwill and kindness and helping. And so he defines and expands The whole concept of neighbor here. Now, in Matthew 5, verse 45, you still there? Matthew 5, verse 45, it says, In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. That's in the New Living Translation. You'll be acting as true children. Listen to me. When we have love happening in our lives this way, that's proof that you are the real children of God. Get this. Loving other people, even your enemy. Loving other people does not make you a child of God. But when you love others, that's what the true children do. That's proof. That's a distinctive characteristic. That's DNA. Right there. Irrefutable proof that that's a true child of God. And you, can I tell you something I'm fed up with? Phony Christianity. Goofy religion. People that are more political then they are righteous and not in our own righteousness. And, and that doesn't say, oh, and I'll tell you what the world needs right now. And there's a song back in the 60s. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And the only place that's going to come from is the father above his love and his real kids. The proof is in the DNA, the distinctive characteristic, the thing that gives them away that that's a real one. Amen. Is they'll love their enemy. Anybody can love people that are nice to you. It doesn't take anything from outside yourself. You just use what they did. And they smile at you, you smile back. They're good to you, you can just give some good back. 
This is a whole different level that he's calling us here to. It, it even goes on and gives us some rhetorical questions. If you love only those who love you, big deal. If you're kind to those who are kind to you, big deal. That's easy. Actually, in the Greek, it pulls out, if you only greet the people, only greet the people, your brethren, people you know you're close to, they said, what is that all about? If you only greet the people you know, you know, you need to get into the habit of greeting everybody. Amen. Now, I'll tell you, it's going to create some confusion at first. Because you're going to wave at people, you're going to smile at people. Hey, how you doing? And they're going to be like. You know, we've done it for years, Alicia and I. We just, we just hated people, smiled at people. My kids, especially when they're little, they get it now. But when they're little, like, who's that? <laughs> and, you know, part of, it, part of it was, you know, church this size and everything. You go places. I haven't met everybody. You know, and you go and there's somebody kind of looking at you like they know you or they smile or, or, or whatever. I'm just going to go ahead because I don't want to offend any Meadowbrookers. But plus, I just think it's a good kingdom practice. Hey, there's somebody else made in the likeness and the image of God. Yeah, but they don't have it all together yet. Yeah, me, me neither. And then we could greet some people and then we could smile to people. And like I said, it might create a little confusion at first. But let's go ahead and do it. Let's go ahead and create a little confusion. And it, and it kind of warm up some other parts of your innards to get you ready for a higher level of love too. Now... The kingdom values, and let me give you a big word here, are paradoxical. They're a puzzle. It's a contradiction. Think about this. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Get this. An enemy, by definition, is one in opposition to you. Either passively or actively, your enemy is against you. Let me put it this way. It's your opponent. They're on the other side. And that does not make sense. I wish Jesus hadn't said it. No, actually, I'm very glad he did because of where we're going to go today. Hopefully you'll see this. But by definition, it's somebody in opposition. It's your opponent. They're on the other side. So earlier the question was asked, who is my neighbor? Well, let's go ahead and ask another question. Who is my enemy? Who is my enemy? So let me write this word for you here that we tend, tend to use as kind of the measure for this. Like, and let's use it in this sense. You don't like me. I don't like you. Well, that is very fifth grade. Sorry, fifth graders. You don't like me. I don't like you. You know, and we turned it around the other way too. You know, when I was in sixth grade, I've told you the story. We're in a crowded cafeteria and a little girl came over to me and says, Beth likes you. I said, I like Beth too. Which one is she? <laughs> All right, back to our regular scheduled program. <laughs> I don't like you. You don't like me. But let's go a little deeper. because And look at the word like here again. It's because... You don't look like me. You don't talk like me. You don't vote like me. You don't believe. You don't worship. You don't think. You don't live like me. Guess what we just found? 
who's found our enemy. But if you think about your enemy in the wrong way, then you're going to be despising them. And Jesus said, no, I want you to do good to them. I want you to love them. I want you to bless them. I want you to pray for them. And we're still, and listen to me, religion loves. Religion loves to identify those that don't think like I think, don't believe like I believe, and condemn them and get all self-righteous. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus said, you've heard all that. I'm taking you to another level here. I want you to love the person who does not look like you, does not talk like you, does not have things like you, doesn't worship like you, doesn't vote like you, doesn't think like you, doesn't behave like you. Well, I'm like, wow, how are we going to do this? Well, we're going to see that he'll supply the love to help us to do this. To love your enemy, get this. To love your enemy, this will help you to commit to it. It's a behavior that reflects the, the character of God himself. To love your enemy, this is not some effort to increase world peace. What this is about is reflecting the Father and establishing the kingdom. Let me remind you what the kingdom is. The kingdom is a place where God rules. How many of you want the kingdom to be in you? It's a place where God rules. My home, a place where God rules. My finances, a place where God rules. Get this. My thinking, a place where God rules. Well, when we love, when we choose to love somebody that's not like me, when we choose to do that, here's what happens. We reflect the very character of God himself. And this is the part I want you to see. And we establish the kingdom in that place. So if this pulpit right here is my enemy, we don't think alike, we don't believe alike, that's my enemy. And I'm right here. If I will choose to, Jesus style, kingdom style, love that person. I'll show you how to do it in a minute. If I choose to love them, I establish, or it is established right here, the kingdom of God. Between me and this other person that's my enemy, this becomes a place where God rules. This becomes a place for potential. Instead of just drawing a line, this becomes a place where maybe there's a bridge. So that I just don't make my point, but maybe I make a difference. That it's a place where God rules. And folks, between you and your enemy, wouldn't it be awesome if that would be a place where the kingdom gets established? Now let's go a little further here. It's one of the most distinctive traits of a real Christian. Listen, if you're going through, is that a real one? Is that a real one? I'm going to tell you, this is one of the most unique and undeniable characteristics of a real deal, true child of the kingdom of God is that they are able to love even their enemy. Now, Jesus said, love who? Jesus said who? Love who? Your enemy. That's really weak, guys. Jesus said to love your, love your enemy. When you love your enemy, follow me on this. It affects them. When you love your enemy, it affects them. In 1976, Muhammad Ali had recently fought the Thrilla in Manila. Some of y'all are just too young to enjoy this message here. And he was kind of tired, and he actually asked his handlers, his promoters, get me an easy fight. And they found a guy from Belgium. His name was Jean-Pierre Koopman. 
And they arranged for that fight, and they had the first press conference. Now, you know how press conferences go for a boxing match. And, that, and especially with a, a Muhammad Ali there. There's going to be a lot of trash talking. Uh, I'm too pretty for you to be, you know, every, everything else, if you're familiar with it. And there'd be a lot of getting in each other's faces and jostling around and, like I said, trash talking. Well, suddenly, first conference, this is the first time that Jean-Pierre Koopman and Muhammad Ali are in the same room. And suddenly we find out that Koopman, who cannot speak English at all, is an incredible fan of Muhammad Ali. He's now in the room with his idol. He is so excited. He is enamored with Ali. He starts to hug him. He takes his hands and kisses his hands. He's wanting autographs and pictures. Muhammad Ali said this, How am I supposed to get myself mad enough to fight this guy? He keeps hugging and kissing me. Get this next line, this next line. He's taking all the fight out of me. He's taking all the fight out of me. We heard, Alicia and I were watching the news a while back in an interview with Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey. And he said this, this impacted us. It's hard to hate up close. It's hard to hate up close. Oh, it's easy to hate while you keep a lot of distance. But it's hard to hate up close. And what this guy did is he got up close here. And you say, Pastor, well, if I get up close, what do I do? And I don't know. It's just the weird way that I think. I think if you get up close, what are you going to do? I just think you should break them off a piece of your (laughs) Kit Kat bar. I mean, love them. Do good. Jesus didn't have a sound system, but we do. We do. We're thankful. When you love your enemy, it affects them. It affects them. Look, look at this here. Jesus said, bless them, do good to them, pray for them. Look at me right now. Look at me. He did not say approve of everything they do, condone, support, encourage, accept. He didn't say all of that. He didn't say they're now your new best friend. He didn't say you have to hang with them all the time. Here's what he said. He said, do good to them. Break them off a piece of your Kit Kat bar. Bless them. And you know what it does? It affects them. In Exodus uh, chapter 23, verse 4 and 5, it says, If you come upon your enemies, everybody say enemy. You come upon your enemy's ox or donkey that is strayed away. Laugh and say, serves you right, sucker. I'm sorry. If you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey that has strayed away, take it back to its owner. Give me a break. You get the idea. It goes on to say, if you see that the donkey of someone who hates you has collapsed under its load, do not walk by. Instead, stop and help. Stop and help. Listen, when you love even your enemy, when you love others, 
it affects them. And then when you love others, this is important here, when you love others, got to find my pen. When you love others, it affects you. Listen, if you will venture out into the place, because it's hard to hate up close. If you'll start to close the gap between you and your enemy, if you'll get into that place, God will meet you in that place. And listen to me, church, it will affect you. And maybe you've heard of Corey Ten Boom. There's a great book you could read that would help you a little bit uh, called The Hiding Place. She's a Christian. She was from Holland. And she helped to hide Jews during the Holocaust. And that's the rain. We're in here. We're fine. Like I say, in honor of the anniversary, free car washes to everybody. Okay. Corey and her sister Betsy were put in a concentration camp. On our vacation when we were in Washington, D.C., we, we toured the Holocaust Museum. It was deeply moving. The takeaway is, I'm going to love people. And I'm going to help and protect people. Well, Betsy, her sister, died while in the concentration camp. Sickness and starvation. The liberation came and Corey gets out. And remember again, she's a Christian. One of her greatest fears is that one day she might now, after everything is over, she might one day just come in face-to-face contact with one of her guards from that concentration camp. She left Holland and was actually preaching the gospel in Munich, Germany. And she preached a message about the love of God and about forgiveness. And she's trying to bring healing to a land that needed a lot of healing. And she even talked about our sins, however horrible they are, can be cast into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. She closed her message and she gave an altar call. And people began to respond to the altar call. And all of a sudden, she looked up at a gentleman who had responded to the altar call Standing right in front of her was one of the meanest guards that had been in that concentration camp. And he said, ma'am, I appreciate your message and I have become a Christian. And he said, thank you for your message on forgiveness. And he reached out his hand and he said, could you find in your heart some way to forgive me? She froze. She closed her eyes and kind of turned away and she prayed and she said, Jesus, forgive me and help me to forgive this man. She said, I felt nothing. I still was just seized up. You cannot imagine. And she said, and I prayed again and I said, Lord Jesus, I cannot love and forgive this man on my own. Would you give me your power to help me love this man through you? Later, she wrote this. She said, in that very moment, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder all the way through my hand as I reached out to take his hand, flowed a current that seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this man, a love that overwhelmed even me. She didn't have the love. And and you know what? None of us have any excuses more than what she had. 
to say, I'm not going to love my enemy. But she knew what Jesus said. And here's the thing. Jesus will supply the love. My love, your love won't get it. Your love for people, our human love won't get it. But I'm telling you, the love of God, the power of God. You know what we need to do? We need to pray the same prayer that Corey prayed and say, Jesus in myself, I don't have what it takes to love this person. In church, I'm looking at you. People have hurt you. And people have done you wrong. There's people you know up close that actively have done things. And there are people that nearby you that passively have done things. And there's groups of people that are disconnected from you. You're not even close to them, but you consider them your enemy. And Jesus said, hey, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, love your buddies, hate your enemies. He's saying that's not the way we do it in the kingdom of God. The real children of God, I will give you the power. I'll give you the love to be able to love people through you. And when we do this, folks, listen to me. It affects them and it affects you. And we can't do it on our own. And sometimes I wish Jesus had never said this. But he said it. And in order for us to love our neighbors, that's an easy do. To love our enemy. Take the step. Pray the prayer. Ask God to help you and give you the power to love them. Because when you love them, listen, get this, get this. When you get up close enough to break them off a piece of your Kit Kat bar... You now have closed the space and created an opportunity for the kingdom of God to come. A place where God rules that gives the potential for all kinds of life change. All of that said, I'm thankful for what Jesus said. Did you get anything at all out of this today?